So today is a really important topic. I mean, people are asking us, how can we possibly afford a home? And uh, we understand it's a little bit difficult. We're sympathetic to that. Of course, uh, you know, if you compare us to other markets around the country, I think we're still pretty affordable. But there's certainly things that you can do maybe to add to your income, uh, make a little bit more money, uh, something to help soften your payment. Right now, rates are really, really low, so that's helping a lot of people. But there's some tips that we've learned over the years that maybe could help you uh, afford the payment a little bit uh, easier. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I have to compliment you, though, Jared, because you have a new microphone. I do. And we're talking about housing affordability. And here's Jared with a solid gold microphone. I don't know if everybody can see this. And I don't it know why. It is definitely solid gold. I don't know why I don't have a solid gold microphone, uh, but I'm, I am jealous. I'm a little bit jealous. You should jealous. be, and that's why I got the gold one, because I knew you would be jealous. Goodness gracious. Well, I'm going to show up next week with uh, what's better than gold, platinum? Platinum. Should we get a platinum microphone yeah. for me? I'll still sound better. Uh, you, uh, you kind of, it reminds me of Rush Limbaugh. He's always bragging about his uh, gold, golden microphone. That's so. right. Okay, let's get back to the topic. Housing affordability. What are some uh, things that people well, are talking about? Let me just say a couple of things, too, just to start out with. Is Some people have this idea in their head that they're going to be able to buy the home that they grew up in, right. that their parents own. Yeah. And that's not likely. And so yeah. I think a big part of this is setting the expectations or having the appropriate expectations on what you can buy as a first-time home buyer or even a second-time home buyer. Yeah. I mean, Likely I, your parents didn't get into the home no. they live in now as their first home. Right. It's, they've had stepping stones along the way. Well, I, I talk to buyers all the time and I say, what are you looking for? And, and they're describing a home, you know, that it just... It's just way above their price range, and, and they're yeah. talking about all the kids that they're going to raise in there, and they want to be close to schools and all this stuff. And I ask them, how many kids do you have? Well, we don't have any kids yet. Well, that's probably the wrong uh, approach. In fact, I think I have uh, some, some good experience here in just the way my wife and I started out. Sure. Maybe I'll just share that briefly. <clears throat> you know, as a self-employed person, especially starting in a crazy business like real estate, I wanted to buy a home as soon as possible. We got married, and by the way, we did rent for a year, and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to buy a home the first year you're married. Uh, but we wanted to buy a home, and for us, because my income was a little shaky starting out in real estate, you know, I'm 23, 24 years old when this is happening, we decided to really take a conservative approach, and we bought a little condo. Sure. And it was down by the tracks. I mean, yep. it wasn't by the tracks. It was like on the tracks. Yeah, I remember. And, you know, the, the train would come screaming by uh, several times a day and, and in the night. And people say, well, you'll just get used to the trains. Well, I never got used to the trains, I'll be honest with you. But, uh, but you know, that was a $100,000 condo. I mean, I could have afforded more. Looking back, I could have afforded a lot more. Things worked out really well for me. But that was the, that was the one stepping stone that we, you know, that we took. And we lived there for two years. And why two years? Because if you live in a home and it's your primary residence for at least two years, then if you sell it and make a profit, which you very well can do, uh, that profit, that gain is tax-free. And so we went from a little condo and then we took a really nice home on the east bench of Pleasant Grove that was pretty beat up. I mean, it was thrashed. They had big dogs and the dogs had made a mess all over the place. That was a full-scale remodel. Maybe I'm not suggesting somebody takes a full-scale remodel, but we... We, we located this home 
and bought it and then went to work and we fixed that sucker up. Of course, we hit the market and uh, made quite a bit of money on that home. And then we built a pretty modest home in Provo. Mm -hmm. And then uh, eventually we sold that. And again, this was just happening every two years. We didn't have any kids at the time, so it was really easy for us. But you know, even if your kids are young and before they start school, they're pretty mobile. Even if they're in school, they're mobile. So we were doing this every two years until we finally built our dream home in Orem. And that was our fourth home. And um, gosh, we put 30% down because we just keep taking the money from one home to another and rolling it back into it. So that's how, you know, my wife and I got started. And now we're in our dream home. And and it just takes some stepping stones. And it's a pain to move. And it hurts a little bit to move because you 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 fall in love with your neighbors and all that. But that's what people really got to start thinking about doing is using stepping stones. Yeah, I think townhomes and condos are good places to start. I mean, I would much rather uh, see my kids, for example, owning a townhome or a condo than continuing to be in the rent rental market. Yeah, and eventually they're going to get to that, you know, four bedroom, three bathroom house on a quarter acre with a white picket fence if that's what they want. So I think affordability and affording a home has a lot to do with your expectations. But I say get in even on something less expensive. And potentially like you and, and your wife did, uh, I remember actually helping you paint that condo mm-hmm. and uh, doing some work down there, but potentially finding something that needs a little bit of work and yeah. building equity through the sweat of your brow yeah. to, uh, to make some nice improvements on it. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good point. I, you know, when, when my wife and I first bought a home, I really wanted to try to convince her to go with something like a duplex. Mm-hmm. A lot of advantages of that. Yeah. And this is a great way for uh, people to get into home ownership mm-hmm. is by buying a duplex. Now, we've also sold people uh, fourplexes, for example. Right. That seems like an odd choice for a first-time home. Uh, but what, what are some advantages there? Yeah, I mean, huge advantages. Uh, in fact, I just closed with a couple. They bought a, a duplex, sharp couple. In fact, they're combining t- income. They could have bought you know, a $500,000 home had they really wanted to. Yeah. But they chose a pretty humble, simple duplex, but with a strategy. And for them, it wasn't just about affordability, where well, on an FHA loan, they could put 3.5% down on a, on a, on a um, uh, duplex. It wasn't just about affordability, where they have you know, 900 bucks coming on from one side and that helps soften the whole payment. Yeah. But for them, it was a longer term strategy. Yeah. And it's about accumulating rental properties over time by owner occupying them first. And it is a little bit tricky because in order to owner occupy a duplex, you have to have a duplex that has one of the units uh, vacant or will be vacated within the first 90 days. Yeah, And so that's a little bit difficult. One other thought on duplexes, if it's a legal conforming duplex, you can actually use, I think, up to 75% of the rent coming in from the other side to help you qualify. Mm -hmm. So you can actually qualify maybe for a more expensive duplex than you could a same same price, similarly priced home. And that's a really great point. I helped a number of years ago a, a young couple get into a fourplex. Yeah. That, the price tag on that fourplex was four hundred fifteen thousand dollars, if like I that. recall. Yeah. They actually could qualify for that easier than qualifying for a two hundred twenty-five thousand dollar home yeah. because they were able to use the rents coming in from the other three units. Yeah. 
And this particular family, just to play this out over a few years, they stuck it out in there for uh, for uh, mm-hmm. about five or six Longer years. Than they I had uh, a couple of kids uh, mm-hmm. while they were living in that, and they have since moved on to a very beautiful home mm-hmm. and have kept that fourplex. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing because they actually bought that with the FHA loan that you had mentioned with three and a half percent down. If you and I are to buy that same fourplex as an investor. We put 25% down yeah. on that, which is yeah. a chunk of change. So it's an awesome strategy, and and, um, and we've done that a number of times. And, yeah. you know, technically you should live there for at least two years. I mean, that's kind of what they suggest. Uh, or maybe or a one year, year, a year even. Yeah. But two years is kind of nice because if there's a gain, you could keep that as a rental property for up to around three years. And then looking yep. back, could still maintain that favorable it, tax status. Yes, I think if your strategy is to you know, sell that tax-free, then stay in it for two years. If your strategy is to accumulate rental properties along the way, that you're using this as an opportunity to build a portfolio, a year generally is what the expectation is. Now, similarly to... Can I make one more comment on that? I don't mean to cut you off, but um, you can only have one FHA loan in your name at a time. Correct. So this couple that we just closed with that had a really good income, both of them had a good income, and I, I think this will work. Uh, they decided to put the loan in just her name. Sure. So that if they want to owner-occupy a duplex in a year or two from now, they would put the loan in his name. Yeah. Right? Because she may, in fact, they're expecting a child that she might decide to stay home. She's got one duplex in her name. He could put another duplex in his name. And then it starts to be, well, we would probably have to, to owner-occupy a home. Because yeah. remember, on a duplex, it's FHA or bust. Because FHA loan is 3.5% down. There's no conventional owner-occupied loan for a duplex unless you have 20% down. Yeah. And so, but it, but you can owner-occupy a home for 5% down, a regular single-family home. So yeah. there's some real strategies we'd love to talk to you about. Boy, if you're making pretty good money and you're a young couple and you can stand living in a duplex, a humble duplex. But you know duplex. what? There's actually some nice duplexes out there. So <laughs> sure. that, that there's, I mean, again, you could be living in an apartment building yeah. with crummy neighbors all around you, or you could live in a duplex that you <laughs> that own. That you own. And yeah. and uh, I, I'd rather the duplex well, any time. I, I can't talk enough about that strategy, but it is difficult. Let me set that expectation. It's difficult to find the right property. You are com- you're you're putting an offer on a property, and you're competing sometimes with a cash investor that might come along. So and, and then you have to use an FHA loan, and sometimes the duplex doesn't have, you know, it's got peeling paint or it's got a broken window or something that prevents it from going FHA. And so the seller is going to have to then cooperate with FHA required repairs. Sure. So I love this strategy. It's a great and strategy. It really We've used makes it a, a lot. makes the property affordable. Now, similarly though, uh, there are homes that have second kitchens in them. Yeah. Okay. And I think this is a, another great strategy. It's a a home with an accessory apartment. Now, before you buy something like that. And as your agent, if we were representing you, we would help you to analyze this and determine whether this is legally recognized as a home with an accessory apartment. Having that status with the city is important because there's a lot of homes that have that second kitchen. But let's assume that you're legally okay to owner-occupy that and rent out the basement to a non-family member. Uh, That's a really great strategy. Uh, I have a home with an accessory apartment. Mm And I love it. We have uh, newlywed couples generally that occupy this little uh, basement apartment. 
And uh, currently, I'm collecting $750 a month yeah. in rent. Love it. And so, now the difference is, though, too, a couple of differences there. You can you have to qualify for that home on your own. Yeah. And that home's going to be a little more expensive because it yeah, does right. have that rental component on it. Mm-hmm. But I actually know we've put a lot of couples in into homes like this. They can easily afford it on paper. I mean, they can get the loan on it, yeah. but they just don't want to spend that amount of money every month on a mortgage payment. Yeah. And so they, and we, I've actually had couples who have bought a home with a, an apartment downstairs and they've occupied the downstairs mm-hmm. apartment yeah. um, and rented out the upstairs. Yeah. Really a, a powerful strategy there that opens up a lot of options. Now, with this, one of the most recent ones I did with this couple, uh, their family's going to grow. And so they're going to, you know, occupy more of that home. Potentially, if they have five or six kids, maybe they don't ever use the apartment downstairs. They just open it up to the rest of their home. So it is a strategy that you can use to grow into that home. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a great way to go. And Jared has a legal accessory apartment apartment in his home. I have what we would call mother-in-law apartment, uh, which is, means that you can have family living with you, and and yeah. that's what we've that's what we've done is had family living with us. Um, I've never rented it to complete strangers, yeah. so there is a difference. And I'll tell you, uh, this is a com- this is another really complex issue. And uh, just because you have a second kitchen, and boy, that second kitchen could be well designed, and you've got this complete living space, and maybe even separate laundry, and off-street parking, and an outside entrance into the basement, and lo and behold, that thing's not legal. And so, and, and every municipality is different. So, for example, Provo City has uh, certain zones that they would allow an right. apartment in. Orm, I love the Orm's approach because they say, well, you can have an accessory apartment anywhere as long as it meets the city standard. Right. So Provost, you got to meet the code and it has to be in the zone and Orm is anywhere as long as it meets yeah. the code. And then you have uh, some municipalities who are trying to solve maybe their low income housing shortage by just really loosening up the uh, the idea of having an apartment in the first place and you and they're very very lenient and loose on how yeah. and what qualifies for an apartment yeah. but um i just and i and again i just heard this actually from a dave ramsey client that came to us uh they had they bought a home in provo a few years ago with an agent and um it had a little detached casita and apparently it was not legal and i mean i would have been able to tell them sight unseen it probably wasn't legal where it's at, yeah. and uh, but they bought it and uh, yeah, Provo City came to their door and and they were actually going to make them. Well, long story short, they did go to court and Provo City made them take out the kitchen altogether. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Provo City is a little bit they're aggressive, aggressive, and yeah. that's uh, that's too bad because you know you and I fight for private property rights. We donate a lot of money to candidates every year who are willing to stand up for private property yeah. rights. I think you should be able to rent your property if you'd like to but you know in Provo City they actually require a Provo City zoning disclosure that the seller has to go to the city and get $35 so that they can give that to a buyer and see what's recognized but so just be careful again if we're representing you we will we will uh, talk you through that and help you with that and make sure that we get the right information now we've seen a lot another way to afford a house is to potentially combine households we have seen a lot of our clients who have a desire to not only for financial reasons but to maybe take care of aging parents uh, or an aging parent maybe somebody that's been widowed Uh, 
Yeah. And uh, and I don't think it's un- inappropriate at all to ask maybe a, a, an aging parent to pay a little bit of right. the expenses uh, on that house, yeah. uh, your mortgage payments, utilities, and things like that. So these homes that may have a second kitchen, or maybe they don't, but have some nice space for your parent uh, or maybe a niece or nephew or somebody going to college here to rent out some of mm-hmm. that space. Yeah, I mean, the, this whole idea of multi-generational housing is really catching on, and it should. You know, our it needs a, to. Our brother's a con. Other cultures do this, right? Yeah. Our brother's a general contractor, and he built a home for great grandma, the grandparents, the the client, and then their kids. That's four generations in one home, and the way they designed it was totally rad. And of course, they have gobs of money. Yeah, I get that it. That was a custom, and that build, was a custom but... build. But the, the, the I think it, it still applies here, where you can find a home that has some separate spaces and. You know, there's a lot of studies about, um, you know, that p- parents will live longer if they're raised, you know, close to their grandkids and all the benefits of, you know, sure. living to- together and sharing the space and, and just, you know, being in each other's lives yeah. in that way. I mean, this is a really good thing, but financially, it's a great thing. Yeah. And by the way, if you have an aging parent and they, um, even if they have the finances, it sure helps to split those. And sometimes, you know, your parents or a parent, they don't really need that much space. They don't need that much space. And a lot of times they're just trying to simplify their lives yeah. so that they can go travel. They right. can do, uh, they can go see other grandkids in other parts of yeah. the world. So yeah. maybe they post the down payment and you put the loan in your yeah. name because they, a lot of times older people we've don't have that. an income, right? So they can't necessarily qualify for a loan, but they do, they're sitting on a chunk of change. Yeah, we've seen that. Now, yeah. if I'm a, let's say I'm a young, you know, Single guy, professional, have a job. Yeah. Okay. What, what? Maybe what's the strategy similar to that that well, uh, you could employ? You know, I came off an LDS mission in 1999, and uh, and I, I was living in Provo, and I loved looking at those old homes in Provo. I just I have I have there's something about an older home that I just love the appeal, the charm. I'm living in Provo, and I thought I really would love to to buy a home and and just uh, have some roommates to help me make the payment. Well, yeah. I had no money, I had no credit, I had nothing. But that's actually what really sparked my interest in getting into real estate. I just loved uh, the the style of these homes and, and so much about them. So I didn't actually do that. But there, we meet a lot of young professionals who haven't married yet. They're done with their degrees. They're working. They've got lots of money. Yeah. And um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't buy a home. And again, here's where the city, you know, some of the city code comes into uh, consideration here. Even though you buy a five bedroom home. You may only, in Provo, for example, it might be you and you can have two more roommates, three unrelated uh, batching singles is what they classify those as. So even though you have a five-bedroom, you may only have three people living yeah. in it. But, but you can generate some income oh, from some two income. other roommates to really offset yeah. that mortgage. Yeah, so 500 I think it's bucks a, a piece or something Really like good that. strategy huge, there. Huge strategy. Buy it. You own it. Yeah. Have two other people helping you make that mortgage. Um Big craze that has come about in the last few years. You've stayed in them. I've stayed in them. We own a nightly rental, but that is yeah. these websites that uh, you know introduce you to people who are looking for a place to stay for a night or two yeah. while they're in Provo or Orem or whatever. Yeah. So you know, I think there's a, some real strategy of dedicating uh, and and doing it right. You know, putting together a really nice bedroom or a nice yeah, space in an your experience. home where you've got it well decorated, it's clean, it's cozy. That's going to attract people coming in here out of town, and they could be people interviewing for jobs. We've got so many people moving to Utah. It could be people here on vacation, here for something, an event at the university. So dedicating some space in your house for um, 
an Airbnb type right. rental. It's a great way to. Well, get I mean, some for example, if I if I bought a home with a mother-in-law apartment, and that's sort of the term that we use, meaning that it's not a legal apartment to mm-hmm. rent. If I had a home with a second kitchen, uh, that's what I would be doing with that second kitchen because from from our understanding of things, uh, and and municipalities are starting to take a stance on this. There's no reason why you can't do that as a nightly rental. You might, be able, might, might not be able to uh, sign a long-term lease with a tenant right. on your second kitchen, but you could put a nightly rental. Yeah. And Orem, we called Orem the other day on nightly rentals, by the way, and they have nothing on the books, and they don't see it as a problem, so they're not going to get in the middle of it. I think Provo will probably take the lead on that. Uh, I don't. I haven't heard of any of other other municipalities along um, the Wasatch Front, or I should say Utah County, because that's really where we specialize in, uh, that are taking a proactive, you know, aggressive yeah. Uh, response. Uh, St. George, Utah did. Well, St. George uh, but some took a of them very yeah. strong approach. So a I very think, good way. I think that's a great... Uh, now, there's also... And our nephew has a home who, by the way, is an agent, uh, Seth, and uh, he's got a home with a second unit that he's renting yeah. out. On top of that, they actually had some extra space, and so they started to uh, be a uh, storage sort of facility right yeah. through an app or a service called neighbor right. there are others out there and so he had a couple of extra rooms and uh, was uh, getting people to, to rent out some storage I actually just saw um, where people are putting up a, you know putting a shed in their yard and charging you know twenty thirty dollars a month just for yeah. for that so I mean that may not move the needle a lot but sometimes you can dedicate a little bit of space and and uh, make a little bit extra money for that well and back to our nephew's home i mean he has a an apartment downstairs it's a big home so he's got these extra rooms and then he's on a half an acre so what can you do with a half an acre yeah um yeah there's actually some some i think one of the big a great strategy and you have to get creative with this and some of these strategies are going to vary and and depend on what city you're living in and what some of the ordinances are there but finding a space number one if you have a business already and you're able to then find a home that accommodates your office space or your workshop or whatever so that you're not leaving the home every day. You're doing business on your property. I think that there's some real value in there and it really helps to afford a house. There's some very creative things that I've seen people do with their yard space or with extra space in their home. you know, and we're not suggesting anything nefarious like, uh, you know, growing marijuana or cooking <laughs> yet, meth right? or making porn <laughs> or something like that in your basement. <laughs> These are legitimate business ideas. Um, pet sitting. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I have a dog and I've looked into pet sitting when we've gone on vacation and, you know, you can charge people $20, $30 a day to watch the dog and you yeah. could have three or four dogs at your yeah. at your home, especially right. if you've got a big enough yard. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of a side business there. Uh, catering, you know, if you do a little bit of catering on a smaller scale, you could really get away with a lot of that. Well, and that's the other advantage of having a second kitchen. Yeah, You could true. run a, a catering business on well, uh, let's talk about a real example that we have in our portfolio. Um, we've got a home that has a 1,700-square-foot shop in the it's back. It's a 2,000-square-foot shop. In fact, uh, I always say 17. It's 2,000 square feet. Yeah, I just look at the appraisal And it's on big, it. and it's been insulated, and there's heat to it and everything else. 
Uh, we have a, a very good friend of ours, a cabinet guy, and he has a beautiful home in Orem, but then he also pays, I think it's $1,500 for a shop down in uh, Linden. Yeah. And he's, he, he's, he's approached us. He would love to buy something just like that because he could combine the living expenses of owning a home with yeah. his business expense. Uh, that property that I just mentioned is currently leased to a, a, a gal who teaches dance lessons. Yeah. She's got a full-on dance studio in there. Yeah. So anything you can do with like music lessons, uh-huh. you know, even if you're not the one giving the music lesson, maybe you have a friend that is very talented, wants yeah. to give music lessons, and is not does not have a place to do those music lessons. Yeah. Karate lessons. You, you dance can, lessons. Yeah, you could, they could pay you some money on that. Photography, a lot of photographers can set up a little studio in their home. Yeah. Uh, salons. I mean, I've shown a I lot just, of homes over the years with know, the salon I, in them. I just put one under contract uh, yesterday uh, for a gal who does uh, hair. And yeah. so she's combining that expense of of having a clientele. And yeah. the way this floor plan is, works out, it's almost uncanny the way it would work out for her. It would be so nice. Yeah. So she'll combine that expense. So uh, beekeeping. I, I mean, I know yeah. a lot of backyard beekeepers. That's become a, a big thing. Yeah, um, I guess it has. Yeah. Ha- having chickens, selling organic eggs, okay. growing herbs, well, here's growing this. vegetable garden. I mean, how many people want to want to make sure that they're eating organic okay. foods? Well, you just, you just bought a horse. Yeah. And so let's say you bought a horse property and you had a couple of different horses there. You could board horses. You feed and water them and you charge people, I don't know, 250 a month. Well, here's another one. And, you know, these, again, you've got to think creatively to start generating a little income mm-hmm. on your property. Um, there are very reputable dog breeders out there mm-hmm. who want to partner up with a family to, or an individual to, um, board those dogs and care for them until yeah. they're you know picked up by the family who's ultimately going to enjoy them. So I'm not suggesting a puppy mill. That's not what you want to get with somebody that's <laughs> reputable. But there are reputable breeders out there who take care of the business end of things and need space for these dogs and care for these puppies. Yeah. And you can make a lot of money doing that, partnering with somebody like that. Yeah. Well, these are all excellent suggestions. One more. Oh, uh, there's there's a lot more. Well, you guys just really think creatively. But, you know, I showed a home the other day. had a big lot. And it was kind of interesting. It's in Provo because the front of it is one street. The back of it is another street. So it's actually a pretty oh, yeah. big lot. Yeah. There is a ton of space back there for motorhome storage, RV storage, boat storage. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that own uh, those kinds of uh, assets that have no place to park them. Yeah. And, you know, I think to for motorhome storage, you know, people are willing to pay 50, 60 bucks at least a month, I think, I think depending on spot. Yeah, yeah. Depending on what what kind of amenities are available there. Mm-hmm. So that particular lot, uh, which is actually a pretty affordable home. Uh, they could generate, you know, three, four hundred bucks a month, I bet, in yeah. storage fees. Yeah. So you got to just think creatively have the right expectations. Uh, think about how to generate income with that property. Mm-hmm. And suddenly these homes do become more affordable. Yeah. And, and again, one of the biggest tips we've always given people is, uh, you know, don't turn your nose up at something that needs a little bit of work. Yeah, I've got a lot of buyers who go in, nope, this isn't for me. And I think, why not? Yeah, Because, uh, you know, grandma's home. Well, it's like grandma's home. Reminds me of my grandma's home. Well, I have fond memories of my grandmother's home with the with the shag carpet and the wood paneling and everything else. But grandma's home has a good roof. Yeah. Grandma's home has a good furnace. 
water heater, AC, they'll all be replaced. The windows are replaced. She wants to be comfortable. And so cosmetically, it's a, you know, it's old and funny. Yeah. But that's another, you know, big thing. And you mentioned this. It's about setting that expectation. And, and by the way, people are a lot better at fixing up homes than they think they are. And it can well, be a lot of fun. YouTube has, you can learn how to do about anything on YouTube. And yeah. a lot of people are able to, to harness that and, and figure out how to, how to really fix these homes up. So anyway, if you are, uh, you know, contemplating or thinking uh, that uh, you'd like to buy a home and you're not sure how to afford it. Yeah. Let's uh, talk. Justin and I have these strategies that we've mentioned as well as some others, especially as it relates to financing. Yeah. Um, come talk to us. Give us a call. We'll coach you through it. I really think that in Utah, even despite the market, uh, the, the, the rise in the market, you can buy a house. You can buy a house even at a young age. Yeah. And use these, you know, use these homes as stepping stones into someday owning a fabulous home at a great equity position. Yeah. And uh, there's just not a, there, you're not priced out of this market. There's nope. still tons of room for young families, mm-hmm. young individuals to get into home ownership, and that's what we want to help you with. Yeah. Well said. I think that that wraps it up. Okay. Well, thanks for listening and. Uh, We'll catch you next time.